0: you're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. But my name's Hans, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is just a joy to be with you. Uh, For those of you who are with us on our Good Friday services, thank you so much for being a part of just that experience together as we uh, remember the death of Jesus. Today, though, is not that day. We remember the thing that makes our faith alive, which is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is what we celebrate every single time that we gather. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus was so significant that the, the, the holy day moved from Saturday to Sunday because Jesus rose on the first day of the week and so the disciples, the early Christians, began to follow that pattern of gathering in remembering Jesus' resurrection. So if you go, well why in the world do we gather on Sunday if the Sabbath day is Saturday? Is because we recognize differently the resurrection of Jesus on Sundays, and so that's why we gather on Sundays. That's why we do it. Gather on Sundays because that's the day that we remember that Jesus rose, but really it is the resurrection that allows for us to do anything that we do. So I wanna start this morning by asking you a simple question. Don't answer it out loud. Just answer it you know, amongst yourselves, but why are you here? Why, why did you come? If you are, and you know, I throw no stones here. If you are an occasional church attender, gatherer, why do you come on Easter? Like why this day, right? Because, because it's just one day. Um, why come three times? Why come 52 times? I joke about Rock, one of our elders. I think Rock, it never misses anything ever. It's always here. He's missed zero elders meetings, he's missed zero gatherings, zero anythings. I'm just like, there's rock, right? There's a good name for it, too. <laughs> so whether you come every single time, because it feels like church attendance is something we take a lot of pride in, right? Like, oh, I was there every time the doors opened. Great. Why? Or I never go. Great. Why? And so... On a morning like this, when we're here at Easter and people are a little perked up, right? We're, we're ready. Uh, I don't usually dress like this, and you all know that by how many people commented on like, hey, Hans, you know, where'd you get that? <laughs> yeah, I've had to get it off the dry cleaning bag that it was, you know, or like the dry cleaning stuff that it was in, because it's been months since I have touched, touched this clothing. Um, and we'll be months again, more than likely. But why do we gather here? Why in the world do we show up? be it every Sunday, be it once a year, and I want us to actually test and challenge perhaps our own motivations today. Because there's something that is clear within the scriptures, Old Testament pointing to Jesus and his person and his work, and the New Testament pointing back to it, and both pointing to the time where he will return. There's something pretty significant for us to grab onto, which is either this means everything or this means nothing there's really no middle of the road just kind of hanging out with it. Like, well, I enjoy church because the people are nice. Or I enjoy it because sometimes there's donuts, but not this time. Uh, I enjoy it because there are, you know, you guys have coffee all the time. And I love coffee and I love free coffee. Uh, you know, I, I, I like activities for my kids. They seem to smile and enjoy it, right? We have all these kind of reasons where we might engage a little bit. But it's interesting because we would actually read in the people who followed Jesus, we'll actually read them saying, it's either every reason to be engaged in life in Christ or there are no reasons. And it hinges on the resurrection. It hinges on the resurrection. So often, often on Sundays where we gather, we're gonna of course, re, you know, we read these passages about Jesus' resurrection who is at the tomb, but I wanna go to a different spot today where we talk about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 comes after all of the events that we read about in the gospels. Jesus has now ascended, he rose and he has ascended. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it's written by the apostle Paul. Paul was Saul, um, Saul, Paul, name is interchangeable, but we often go by Paul, or to, to refer to him as Paul. And Paul was changed by Jesus, realized he was real, realized he rose, was hating Christians, killing Christians, and then Jesus transformed his life And at the end of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter he writes while he's traveling and planting churches and talking about Jesus, preaching about Jesus and his resurrection, he gets into this little argument, not not, not like he's arguing with somebody, but he's actually presenting an argument, a case, for why Jesus is everything or Jesus is nothing. And I think it helps us on a morning like this morning to decide for ourselves either we're in it or we're not. That's what he kind of does. And I love what he says. Well, we're gonna start at the very beginning of that passage, because I've asked this, I asked this in our members class, we kinda do a little exercise, where I ask the question, what is the gospel? I'm not gonna make you do what we do there, where they actually take some time and write it out, and we share our answers, and we start with answers that we're not sure are right, and we move to answers that we think are right. Uh, Because when we say, what is the gospel, and we say, well, we're a, you know, Genesis is a a gospel-centered church, many of us probably have little to no idea what that means okay, so do you preach Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every, every time that you're here? Because those are what we call the gospels, the story of Jesus' life. Uh, but what actually is the message of the gospel, right? Gospel just means good news. But often, if we were asked to explain it, we would probably start to kind of wander into just a bunch of ideas about God. And it might be like, hey, be nice to people, right? Or Bill and Ted, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Like, we don't, aren't really sure exactly what we're gonna land on. Well, lucky for us, 1 Corinthians 15 actually gives us content, things to hold on to as to what the gospel is. So we're gonna just kind of start with that. Who is Genesis? Genesis is a church that is centered on the gospel, but what is the gospel? Because we assume we know what we mean when we say that. So let's just start right there at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the end of Paul's letter here, and he says this. Because I remind you of the gospel I preached to you. We'll, we'll pick up in verse three here in a second. I preached this gospel to you. I received it. This is the gospel in which you stand and by which you are being saved. You hold fast the word I preached unless you believed in vain. So you either believe it or you don't. And if you believe it, it saves. And if you don't, you're not saved. Verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. If you weren't with us Good Friday, I'd encourage you to go uh, back. We did Psalm 22 that talks about a prophecy of the death of Christ. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. These things were spoken. That he was buried, which means he died and was put in the grave. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So that's the big chunks. And then it talks about his appearance. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, these are groups of disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which doesn't mean they're sleeping like in a sermon. It means that they have died and they're awaiting something that is to come, right? So the Bible talks about falling asleep as you're just, you're just waiting for resurrection. But we would say died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So what is the gospel? Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose... And we would even say Christ is coming, right? We hold on to that part as well. Though in this part, it's not going to say Christ is coming, but the whole of the New Testament is also pointing to His return. And the disciples there are living in light of the fact that He's going to return and make all things new. Which kind of answers that question of well, why does the world still stink sometimes? Why does it seem, right? If you're following, like, why are churches bombed on Easter Sunday morning? Right? What do we? Why does that happen? Well, it happens because we're fallen, and we're all looking for the return of Jesus, where he rights every wrong, where he restores new heaven and new earth. So we look at these ideas that Christ came, came to this earth, right, the Son of God become man, so we celebrate it Christmas time, but the incarnation, Christ died for our sins, Christ rose from the dead, and he's coming back, he is returning. So when we say the gospel and we're gospel-centered, it means that what we do and what we believe and what we preach is going to be focused upon the person and work of Jesus because there's no other way for us to find life. No other way for us to have hope. Sometimes, and I I make this joke from time to time, but sometimes people are like, well, where does your church stand on X? Or where does your church stand on Y? Or where does your church stand on Z? And like they wanna take some specific issue and know where we might stand. And it is good to have stances on issues, sure. But I'm kinda like, here are some places where our church stands that, that are rather bizarre. We think God became man. We think that he was 100% God, 100% man, never sinned, always eternal, that he died for us and that we're sinful and that the only way to actually find meaning, value, and hope in this life, the only way to find true and lasting significance is by putting your faith in Jesus who was crucified with criminals and rose on the third day. So what what do we believe about this? Well, let's just kinda go back to some of the bizarre things that we gather and we sing about that we kinda take for granted. But if you step back, you go, that's kinda weird. It is, it is. But we put all of our hope in that truth. We put everything that we hold on to into that. And so you might go, well, that's kind of a weird thing to believe. You know what, it is. I believe that a man born of a virgin, Right, I believe that, don't know of any other instance where that's happened, I believe in that, we believe that he was born in Galilee, nothing good you know, comes from this place. Not in Galilee, not in Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? Like but he was born, he was the true king of David that we're gonna be preaching about in the coming weeks. Like that David's King David was prophesied there'll be an eternal king. We believe he is that, that we believe that he lived a sinless, perfect life here in this world. Even though he was tempted, he did not sin. He was never not God. But Sometimes we like to think that. We're like, well, you know, he flipped on his God switch and he flipped on his man switch and he just kind of sat around and he just flipped these switches when he needed to act a certain way. Nope, always God, always man, always perfect, never wrong. That he lived this entire life like that, that he was killed wrongly at the hands of evil and wicked people, but he did that for our sins. So so when we kinda of get out to these tangential points and where do you stand on this, where do you stand on that, where do you stand on this, it gets a little funny because I'm like, where do we stand on the core things? Those are crazy enough. Like when we ask you to believe, we're saying please believe in a crucified and resurrected guy who was killed on earth, said he was a criminal but actually wasn't, that he was God and that through faith in him it's the real only way that you will live. It seems impossible. But Paul continues, and this is what I love, because he starts to actually tease out that idea that if you believe this, this is what comes of it, and if this is not true, this is what comes of it, right? So if this is true, here. If this is false, here. Like, this is, this is what we have. And you'll see very quickly that there's no middle ground, and he starts with what kind of faith is a worthless faith. It's a faith without resurrection. If you look at the next uh, one of the following paragraphs, Verses 12 through verses 19, he's going to basically say, it is pointless to be a Christian. If you, you know, Christian, I put in air quotes, if you're not, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, right? I'm not actually Christian. It's, it's pointless to actually be engaged in church life and community life if you do not believe that the resurrection happened. That's the argument that he's about to make. Now, listen to this if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? We preach he's raised. And because he's raised, that means that when we die, we are awaiting our own resurrection, that he's gonna bring us back with new resurrected bodies as well. He goes, if there's no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Then, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. They're gone. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So this is what this might say. I've heard a preacher say it this way, which I find it to be incredibly true. If Christ is not raised, there is no reason for us to gather. This is just some kind of fun social exercise that we do and you might as well be barbecuing or playing golf or watching sports or doing some other thing than being here right now. Because he's basically saying it is a waste of your time to pretend to worship a God who did not raise. One who did not rise from the dead, who was not raised. That is a waste. So your faith is futile and you are still in your sins you're not even forgiven. So he's essentially going, everything that has happened since Christ resurrected, everything that's happened since his ascension, where all the churches gather week after week after week, 1 Corinthians 15 says, that is a pointless endeavor if Christ was not raised. Think of, if that's true, think of all the money that we spend and all the time that we spend and all the energy that we spend and all the things that we go to in the name of church activity that take on zero value because of that. And think of the fact that we are reaching, if if these things are true, that we are reaching for a salvation which we cannot grasp. That we're reaching for a hope that does not exist if Jesus was not raised from the dead. They were looking towards something that actually doesn't happen. So Paul is just kind of laying out this argument of this is a waste. Not only, he says, I should be condemned because I'm saying God did something that God didn't do. It's also what he says. So in 12 through 19, he lays out essentially the argument for why it is a waste of time to be here. That you should just stop that you should do nothing else in the name of Jesus if Jesus is not real. But then you think about all the crazies in life who have gone and died for this Jesus. You think of all the people who have given their lives and their time and their attention and they have left family and they've left friend and they've left home and they've given decades of their lives to go and preach about a resurrected Jesus amongst people who have never heard And you have that year after 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 year From the time Jesus ascended to now, people are still going out and they are proclaiming a resurrected Jesus. And they're dying for a resurrected Jesus. And if you start to lay that out, remember, what is 1 Corinthians 15 saying? That is pointless. Well, he's about to turn it though, isn't he? If you know the argument, he's going to go, okay, so we've already said all of you have permission from Pastor Hans to never show up again if you don't think this stuff is real. You can be gone, and you just write me an email and go, I think the resurrection's fake, I'm out. Okay, you have permission, but you have to hear the rest. He continues, and we're just going to do the next 20, 21, and 22. It's a portion of his argument, but it it, it gives us the whole idea that he's going after. He says this in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, meaning the one who comes first, of those who have fallen asleep. Meaning that because he has been raised from the dead, others who have died in him with faith in him will also be raised when he returns. For as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam we all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so he turns it. He says, if there's no resurrection, everything that we've done has been a sham. Everything we have done doesn't matter. Everything we have done makes no point. You're wasting your time even being here. But then he turns it and he talks about a living faith and that is one with resurrection. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fall asleep, for as by a man, Adam, by a man, as our representative in our death came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of death. For as dead in all in Adam all die. And what is that saying? Because we are human, we die, and death is a result of sin. Because of our disobedience, we die. This is why when people talk about the death of others, I I get a little, my kind of hairs in the back of my neck, they perk up and they're like, oh, you know, we are so glad that they died peacefully and all those things. And I'm like, I don't think we're understanding what's going on there, though I get why you say what you said. But death is not a friend of God's. Death has never been a friend of God. Death has always been an enemy of God, which is why Jesus, the Son of God, died for us and rose for us that we might have life because death needed to be conquered so that we could have life. I think about Lazarus, right? Lazarus was a guy that was raised from the dead and I was thinking about this. I was like, how weird to die twice. How weird to have the experience to die, be brought back Die again just to be resurrected again but with a new body. I'm going to have to have a conversation with him about that. You might think, well, you know, then Jesus isn't the first fruits of resurrection. No, no, no. Lazarus was not resurrected with a resurrected body, only Jesus was. Jesus was resurrected differently, brought back differently than we have anybody else in the history of forever has, but because he has, we will. And so we have this truth in Adam, all die. Death is not our friend. We do lots and spend lots of money to make death more painless, more comfortable, their whole industry set up to try and allow those final weeks and months to go as well as they possibly can. But at the end of the day, you still die. There is no staving it off. All. all of you who diet like crazy and exercise like crazy and do everything that you can to be sure that your body stays fit, you still might get out of here and get hit by a bus. It still happens to all of us. It does not matter how much energy you put into not dying, you still die. And really, at whatever age, irrespective of that, every death is a reminder that sin is real. Because we have physical death and we have spiritual death. That we are born separated from God. But a faith with resurrection gives us life. Look at what he says right there at the end of verse 22. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam we die, in Christ we live. So this is really what gets set up here in these paragraphs in 1 Corinthians 15. We hear the gospel message. This is what happened. Paul then takes some time to go, let's just talk about if that weren't true and what that would mean. He goes, now let's talk about what happens because that's true. So he gives us this point. Either Jesus is everything or Jesus is nothing. Nothing. And so often we kind of spend our lives kind of grabbing some cool ideas from Jesus to better our lives. Well, what would Jesus say about this? Or what might Jesus say about that? Or have you heard this statement about Jesus here? But either he's everything and everything he says matters or he is nothing and nothing he says matters. I was listening a few months ago to a guy who um, really lost his faith. He gave up on it. He said, I'm done. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And he was essentially asked this question, well, what do you do with Jesus then? Like, do you still like Jesus? Do you still follow Jesus? Do you, like, like what, what, would, what would you do with Jesus? And at least he had an intellectually honest response. He said this. He goes, listen, I, I can't. either, Either I have to believe all that Jesus said or I have to believe none of what Jesus said. Because Jesus did teach some cool ideas, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Like those kinds of things that we like to say. He said some things, he goes, but he also said things like, I'm God, in me you'll have life. So either I have to take all of his statements or none of his statements. But I can't cherry pick his statements to the ones that I like. And I thought to myself, at least he's being honest with his lack of belief. At least he's being honest to realize that I can't just cut the pieces of Jesus that I like out and hold on to those and leave the ones I don't. Zero sum, it's either everything or nothing. And that doesn't mean that we sit around and we totally understand everything that we read and everything that we preach and everything that we know, it doesn't mean that at all but it means that we are going to seek in every instance to understand how this ties into a risen and resurrected king who is coming back and bringing his reward with him and transforming us from death to life, giving us resurrected bodies and eternal hope and life. How do these things work out? So again, I ask in the same way that I began, why are you here? Why are you here? Because Sunday comes once a week, I've counted. I think I'm pretty accurate. It comes once a week. We gather together, and we gather together as a church in other ways and in other times and in other spaces, but we gather and we worship a resurrected Jesus. And I don't like even saying this and here's why. Because as a pastor you kinda you know, you understand that kinda folks who don't wanna really be there are there anyways. They just kinda get, they get dragged in. And you, you kinda need those people and you hope they give, right? But when you look at the argument presented in scripture, you either gather because you believe he's everything or you're trying to figure out if he's everything, right? Like you're just here and you're kind of going, let me figure out what's going on with this Jesus guy because I'm not really sure. But if you think he's nothing, it he says, why, why here? Why... Are you here? I think and I hope, and if you turn, really, if you're a guest here or you haven't been here that long, if you turn to your left or to your right or to front or to behind, you will find somebody who has decided that Jesus is everything. And they are living their lives trying to figure out how in the world to fit that together with what they do and how they live and how they behave and what they believe and how they worship their shrine with all that they have and all the power that the Spirit works within them to go, how do these things work? And they don't have all the answers and they haven't figured everything out but what they have figured out is there is no better person in whom to trust than Jesus. And so the challenge for them is the same challenge for all of us which is this, trust Jesus. I have a line that I like to use from time to time with people who are telling me how their life is going and what they're trying to plan and what they're trying to do and how they're trying to live and I just kind of go, how's that working for you? How's it working for you? to live for your own goals and to pursue things that you want and to become things that you hate. To feel things that you know you don't wanna feel and to live in ways that you know you shouldn't live and act in ways that you know you shouldn't act and to have really nothing, nowhere to go and nothing to do with those things other than try and stuff them down or deal with them in whatever way the world allows for you to deal with them but to find no way to truly become reconciled with the fact that you know you're not who you wanna be. And you're living in ways that you know you don't wanna live. And you're believing things and acting in ways that you know you don't wanna do. But all we really are able to do without Jesus is just kind of become comfortable in whatever ways we can with the fact that we kind of stink. And we will medicate through different means and we will pursue different ends and we will try and find ways to make life tolerable without dealing with the real issue of why in the world is it this way? And this is, this is the beautiful thing about our God is through the person and work of Jesus, he says... I do not want it to be that way either. I do not want it to be that way either. I do not want you to be living for yourselves. I do not want you to be living for your own ends. That is only death and hopelessness. I want you to live in life through Christ and what he has done. Because he came and he died and he rose and he is coming back so that we can have life. Really, if this morning you are already a follower of Jesus, praise God, and I know many of you, and I know your faith, and I've seen it, and it is beautiful. Every day that we rise and we remember the work of Jesus for us, still a day where we must live it from faith and there are likely some in here parents, kids guests who just think that the Jesus thing is pleasant and I get it but we don't want to be a church, it just presents kind of nice moral agents in the world who do good things and don't yell at their kids and the kids are generally well-behaved. Like, that's nice. I like when my kids' teachers say, hey, your kids were so good in school today, right? Like, that's great, you know, good job, high fives, here's some candy, whatever we wanna do. But like, we don't exist just to make people a whitewashed version of themselves. The work that we wanna do is a work that we honestly cannot do, which is to see men, women, and children become transformed into new creations in Jesus, where he says, listen, you think you can do better than me, but I promise you, you can't just give up and let me do the work. And so we gather this morning and we remember because it's Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday and it's funny because as Christians, like we put resurrection in front of everything today. It's like it's Resurrection Sunday but every Sunday is Resurrection eggs and these aren't Easter eggs, they're Resurrection eggs and um, these aren't like, this is Resurrection candy, whatever you wanna call it, right? Just tag Resurrection in front of it and it's okay today. But we gather today and we need to remember this, nothing of value happens in this place without the resurrection of Jesus fueling it. Nothing of value happens in this place unless what has been declared is true. We have a value uh, here at Genesis which is called, uh, that we, we wanna to conform to the scriptures. We wanna to conform to the scriptures, but essentially we're saying this, we do not want to then go, I, have, I don't really understand this passage and I don't like it. So I'm going to just try and figure out how to remove it. No, we take that as an opportunity to go, okay, I don't really know what's going on here. Lord, can you please make it make sense? Because if you have revealed it in your scriptures, then it is good for me. If you have shown it in your word, then it is good for me. And you have allowed for me through your spirit to conform to this, right? To to change because of what I read, but it only happens because of that initial faith that we have in Jesus because Jesus rose. We preached on Good Friday about the disciples and how they had wandered. To think that we somehow have the strength and the energy to remain by Jesus at his darkest moments was false. And in fact, on Easter Sunday that we talk about, where he is there and the tomb is empty, and people are confused, and when he shows up, they're like, "Is this the gardener?" It's one of the statements made, like, "I think it's the gardener. I don't know, if it's Jesus." And then they know Jesus is here, and they start to run to the tomb, but not all of them run. Just some of them run. Because as they're trying to process the fact that Jesus rose, I'm sure. Most of them are like you and me which is like uh-uh nope did not happen. And then they see him. And I love that statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the gospel because it talks about his appearance in some detail. He appeared to Peter, he appeared to the 12, he appeared to 500, he appeared to me. Because it's not as if Jesus kept his resurrection hidden right? It's not as if, right? He's talking, kind of laying it out. There are people, many of whom, as he's writing this, are still alive that you can go talk to who said, who saw Jesus and would tell you there he was. It would be much more convenient if you were trying to kind of make some kind of lie to be like, and then he appeared to a whole bunch of people, but they're all dead now and you can't talk to them. But he actually goes out of his way to say, no, 500 folks, you can go find most of them. I know their names. I can tell you their addresses or where their kids grew up and rode their bikes down the street. Like we can talk about the people who saw Jesus because what's he doing? He's saying, Jesus rose. If Jesus didn't rise, then we have no point, but he did, so we're alive. Friends, either Jesus is everything or he is nothing, and I would beg of you, we would beg of you to trust him today. What does it mean to trust Jesus? We've used this illustration before. I call, I just, it, it is a letting go. I have no other way to really understand it, that faith really has three components. There's information, right? there's information over here. Like there's not, there's something to be understood. Christ died for you, rose from the dead. We'll just call that, right? There's information. Then there's the agreement that that stuff is true. But that doesn't get us the whole way. Jesus' half-brother James, he writes it like this, you say there's one God, good, but even the demons believe that. They'll even recognize there's only one God. They see it, and they're like, yeah, it's true, there's only one God, that's fine, Jesus, he rose. Like, demons have better theology than most Christians. But then there's this last element that kind of makes up faith, which is trust. So I've heard something I just imagine, when I give you information, I've heard something, I believe it to be true, and I'm going to trust. I've used this before. Uh, in our old neighborhood, uh, you had to make a difficult left out of it for a while. We were leaving the neighborhood. Like, it was one way in, one way out. For our first couple of years, we lived in it. Um, and so we turned left, and if Courtney were in the passenger seat, I would ask her, are there any cars coming? Right? Are there any cars coming? Because she'd be looking that way and she'd kind of see and I'm looking this way. Are there any cars coming? And she would say, yes or no. She said yes, I would wait. If she said no, I would look. (laughs) Why? Why? Information, understanding, trust. Right? It wasn't because she's, you know, Courtney. It's because I went, I, If I get in a wreck because my wife said there were no cars and she or I missed it, it's not her fault, it's mine. So if I totally, in every word, trusted everything in that moment, what would I have done? I would have gone, Information, understanding, so often we stop there even when it comes to Jesus. Trust is the moment where we move. And it doesn't mean like a physical movement, it means something, I, I, I call it a release. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. We go, that seems to make sense, but what does that mean for us, if we're to trust that to be true? Well, here's an, an example. That means that everything I understand about what is true, perhaps, or everything I might have thought to be true, maybe it's not as true as I thought it was. Maybe all the ways that I thought would give life, don't give life, because Jesus calls himself the life. So trust in that instance is to release control of what we thought was true and life-giving and attach ourselves to Jesus. Everything that we thought was saving and would provide for us hope and endurance, our kids, our family, our friends, our name, our job, our money, whatever it might be, all of those things in which we trust, Jesus is saying, not what you need. You need me. Doesn't save, you need me. Doesn't bring hope, you need me. Trust Jesus, trust Jesus. How do we trust Jesus? We release control of our lives onto him, recognizing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he came, that he died, that he rose, that he's coming. And we do not, you know, it's not like these, when you follow these 700 rules, which Christians are really good at doing, we can provide for you a bunch of rules then to how to live a holy life, but here's the thing. If it doesn't stem from a reality of Jesus being alive and coming back, then even the rules that we create to kind of live cool are all fake. All the things that we try and do and all the things that we believe and all the things that make us feel Christian are actually worthless, if not rooted in what Jesus has and what Jesus has said and what Jesus does. May we trust him because he's alive. May we hope in Him because He's our only hope. May we live for Him and sing for Him and serve for Him and enjoy life and laugh because of Him. Because He came, He died, He rose, and He's coming. Pray with me. Father, there is nothing else in which we can believe, there is nothing else in which We can live. There is nothing else that can give us hope. There is nothing else that can give us joy. There is nothing else that provides for us value. There is nothing for us that provides meaning like Jesus does. We worship a living and resurrected Lord. who gave of himself for us and who rose for us. To fulfill your will and your desire and your longing, Lord, but Jesus then came, died, rose, and we can have life. It is an obedience that only God could do. It is a hope that only God could bring. It is a life that only God could live. It is a resurrection that only God could do. We are alive. Might we put our trust in Jesus this morning and turn from vain ways of believing and vain ways of living and attach ourselves to you. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, the only one who gives life. Amen.